Let's open the Scriptures this afternoon to the book of Acts, chapter 13, in the Pew Bible, page 1172, 1172. We're reading this in connection with the teaching of Scripture summarized in Lord's Day 25, of the Heidelberg Catechism. There we talk about where faith comes from and how faith is built up and strengthened. Namely, uh, it comes from the preaching and it's built up through the preaching and the sacraments. And here we have an example of Paul sent to preach the gospel. We're going to start actually in verse 13 and read to the end of the chapter. So, Acts 13, verse 13. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem, but they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm he led them out of it. And for about forty years he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as He promised. Before His coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not He. No, but behold, after me one is coming the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize Him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning Him. And though they found in Him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus as also it is written in the second psalm, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. 
Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your Holy One see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe even if one tells it to you. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed, and the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit." I invite you to turn with me in the book of praise to page 539, 539, where we have the church's confession concerning the means of grace, as they are often called, the means or the tools by which God extends to us His grace. So we'll start reading at question 65. Since then faith alone makes us share in Christ and all His benefits, where does this faith come from? From the Holy Spirit, who works it in our hearts by the preaching of the gospel and strengthens it by the use of the sacraments. What are the sacraments? The sacraments are holy, visible signs and seals. They were instituted by God so that by their use He might the more fully declare and seal to us the promise of the gospel. And this is the promise, that God graciously grants us forgiveness of sins and everlasting life because of the one sacrifice of Christ accomplished on the cross. Are both the Word and the sacraments then intended to focus our faith on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross? as the only ground of our salvation? Yes, indeed. The Holy Spirit teaches us in the gospel and assures us by the sacraments that our entire salvation rests on Christ's one sacrifice 
for us on the cross. How many sacraments has Christ instituted in the new covenant? Two, holy baptism and the holy supper. So far, our confession in response to the preaching of the Word will sing two songs. Psalm 42 stanza 3 in combination with Psalm 43 stanzas 4 and 5. And that's about how we, uh, in our times of weakness, may retrieve our faith, how we may strengthen our faith. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, we've been learning from Scripture through the aid of the Heidelberg Catechism that true faith in Jesus Christ is necessary in order to be saved. We already confessed that as early as Lord's Day 7, and then from Lord's Days 8 through 22, we went on to confess the content of true faith. We asked, what exactly are we to believe? The answer provided is that we are to believe all that is promised us in the gospel, as that is summarized in the 12 Articles of the Apostles' Creed. And once we finished going through the Apostles' Creed, we asked in Lord's Day 23, well, what good does it do now that we believe all this, all these things? And the great good we discovered is that by believing in Christ, by accepting all of Christ's work and His righteousness with a believing heart, we are righteous before God. We are heirs of everlasting life. It is not our good works that make us right before God, but it is Christ alone who accomplishes that, and we access that gift through faith, through faith alone in Jesus. So, by now, it's become abundantly clear that faith is critically important for us. Without faith, we cannot be saved. So, now Lord's Day 25 comes along with the next important question, where does this faith come from? If it's so critical for my redemption, if without faith I can only expect damnation and hell, how do I get faith and how do I keep faith? Faith is key. It's, it's in fact, like a key. For example, a key to a brand new car. If, if you lose that key, you cannot access the car. The car just sits in the driveway and it's, it's useless to you without the key. So, the question of Lord's Day 25 is, how do I get this key? of faith. How do I make sure that I'll never lose the key, the key of faith? Something so vital and so precious has to be given our full attention. It has to be treated with, with the greatest of care, and it's got to be protected from damage or loss. How do I do that with the key of faith? Well, Lord's Day 25 helps us to discover the answers. Here it introduces us to the means of grace to God's way of, of leading us in faith, building us up in faith, faith in our only Savior, 
Jesus. With that in mind, I preach to you this Word of God with this theme, God's gift of faith requires regular strengthening. God's gift of faith requires regular strengthening. We'll see how sermons bless and how sacraments bless. Well, answer 65 takes us to the the heart of the issue with this question, where does faith come from? And the answer, simple, straightforward, it comes from the Holy Spirit. It's a very humbling answer when you reflect on it because it means we don't give ourselves faith. You and I don't come to believe in Jesus of our own accord. Rather, God gives us that faith through the powerful working of His Spirit. We learn this in a number of Bible passages, like when the Lord Jesus says to Nicodemus in John 3, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That's what we call being born again. And just like no one is able to make himself come to life, I mean, just think about that, right? No, no baby can make him or herself come to life. We can't have ourselves conceived in the womb and then be brought forth in birth. No, that's impossible in a physical sense. Equally, it's impossible in the spiritual sense. Nobody can be born again of his own or her own action. Paul, the apostle, was even more explicit about our inability to, to do such things when he says in 1 Corinthians 2, and we impart this, that's the gospel, in words not taught by human wisdom but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. And here it comes. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And why is it that he does not accept these things, Paul says, for he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The natural man, the sinful human of him or herself can't understand the message of the gospel, can't take in the wisdom of God, and then by our own free will come to faith. It doesn't work. Not possible. We humans can work out a lot of things in the capacity of our own human nature. We can work out mathematics. We can fathom scientific experiments. We are able to understand Shakespeare, well, to a point anyway. We have the ability to grasp uh, medicine and engineering. We can think of abstract ideas and philosophy, but no human on his own can much less understand or, or accept the gift of God in Jesus Christ. It, it's just not possible, says the Bible. The Spirit of God has to get in there and do something in us. He has to revive our hearts. He has to regenerate us so that we actually then can believe in Jesus Christ. I stress this for two basic reasons. One, so that you and I, we never forget that we are Christians by grace alone. It's just grace that we're gathered here on Sunday after Sunday, that's God's doing. It's got nothing to do with our ability or that we are somehow better than our neighbor. No, no, it's grace, pure and simple. 
That the Son of God came to this world to save sinners, that's miracle number one. But make no mistake, miracle number two is that you and I have been brought to faith. That is reason for us to be forever humble, forever thankful, and forever hopeful that if God can save a wretch like me, because that's what I am, that's what you are by nature, a wretch. If He can save a wretch like me, then He can save anybody. So I'm going to pray to this God who can save anybody. I'm going to pray to Him for my unbelieving friend, my unbelieving neighbor, my straying relative, my son, my daughter, my brother, my sister, who used to walk in the ways of Jesus Christ and confess Jesus as Lord. I'm going to bring them to my God in prayer because He can do it. I'm going to entrust them into His powerful hands, and I'm going to do it every day again and again into the hands of this good and grace-filled God. I put my hope in Him, not in people. That's the first reason to stress all of this. The second is that since faith is a gift of the Holy Spirit, of God through the Spirit, we need to pay very careful attention, do we not, to the working of the Holy Spirit. Let's go back to that car key. If somebody is promising to give you a key to a brand new car, you can think of the car of your dreams, and says, look, I'm going to give you the key. Meet me at this address at this time, and I'll have the key there for you. You'd be there, wouldn't you? You would cancel all other appointments, and you would be there. There would be nothing that would keep you away. Or to use a different analogy, Suppose you are allergic. You're allergic to a lot of different foods, milk, dairy, peanut butter, maybe also allergic to pollen and flowers and maybe cats and dogs. Well, if that was true of you, that would make for a very, very difficult life. It'd be hard to go anywhere, hard to eat at anybody's table. You'd be forever battling allergic reactions. And then suppose that a doctor came up with a serum that would take away those allergic reactions. And he said to you, look, you come to my office once a week or every week at this time, and I'll give you this needle, and, and, and the serum will go into your bloodstream, and you'll be good to go. You won't experience those allergic reactions. You need a booster every week, so make sure you, you don't miss. If that was offered to you, as someone with those kinds of allergies, you wouldn't refuse, would you? You would be there. I would be there. It would be top priority. The schedule, everything else would work around that schedule. I'm going to, I'm going to make those appointments. Well, so it is and should be with the Holy Spirit, beloved. The Holy Spirit is saying to us, look, I give you faith. I'm going to give you faith, and I'm going to build up and strengthen your faith I'm going to do it by the preaching of God's Word every Lord's Day when the consistory calls you together as congregation. That's where I'm going to be handing out this faith-strengthening thing. The Spirit in the preaching, He connects us with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who, who loves us, who gives us eternal life. How much more valuable a connection or how much more valuable a thing that is than getting a new car? or even gaining protection from allergies 
Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is, is life, beloved. It's life. So, of course, it's to the preaching we go. I'm going to be there. If the Holy Spirit is calling me, I'm going to be there. Why would I miss? Fathers, sons, daughters, children, we're going to be there. Do we respect the Holy Spirit and His choices? People don't always think that the preaching is the best way to bring people to faith. You certainly don't have to look very far to find churches that have altogether let go of the preaching of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Others, they... They still have some preaching, but it's reduced to a small aspect of the worship service, and it's been replaced with a lot more singing, upbeat singing led by a powerful band or choir, adding in some catchy stories, filling out the hour maybe in some situations with, with, with symbols and ritual. Now, of course, if the Holy Spirit had wanted to lead people to faith by music, or by symbol or ritual or by anecdotal stories of the minister, that would be the Holy Spirit's sovereign choice, and we would need to respect it, and we would do those things. But that is not what the Bible says the Spirit wants us to do. The book inspired by the Holy Spirit tells us that the method chosen by God's Spirit to move hearts and create faith is the plain, simple, foolish, foolish to many people, and to many people, the boring preaching of the gospel. The Holy Spirit says, I'm going to choose that instrument. Can we respect His choice? Can we give ourselves over to His wishes? Can we trust that the Holy Spirit knows what He's doing and is quite able to take the weakness of the preaching and work faith? in the hearts of the elect. Well, how do we know that this is the chosen method of God? Well, Scripture says it in a number of places. We can think of some examples from the history of the prophets. When God wanted to change the hard hearts of His people, He sent His servants to, to preach the Word to those hard hearts. How was David, King David, brought to repentance and renewed in his faith well, it was when Nathan came to him with the Word of God, and Nathan told him a parable. And the Holy Spirit opened David's eyes through that parable. When, when Nathan said, you, you're the man, boom, he was cut to the heart, says Scripture, and he repented. How was it that the Assyrian people, these were not even Jewish people at all, these were Gentile people living in the capital city of Nineveh, these were the heathen of heathens, the Ninevites, how did they actually turn from their sin and cry out to Yahweh, the living God? It was through the preaching of Jonah. You remember Jonah, the reluctant prophet? Didn't even want to go there. He wanted that city to be destroyed by God's wrath, so he reluctantly preached the message of repent and believe, and those people repented and they believed. It is not the power of the persuasion of the man 
doing the preaching. It's not the work of any human to convert the heart. It is the incredible, powerful working of the sovereign Spirit of God who goes out with that simple word, even if it is with a reluctant, from a reluctant preacher. And he, he goes into the hearts of God's chosen people, and he's like an earthquake in those hearts. And he stirs them up to faith and repentance. That is what the Scripture says. That's the Holy Spirit's chosen method. Is that not so very encouraging and exciting? It just does not depend on any human, not you or me or anyone. It's the work of the Spirit. Let's just think this through a little further. Think of who is the best preacher the world has ever seen, bar none. Who, who would that be? Well, I think we're all going to agree that that was Jesus. Who is better than Jesus at preaching the gospel of Jesus? He came preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And he explained that the riches of the kingdom are for everyone who comes to faith. He explained it so beautifully in his different teaching and stories and parables. And he did it so powerfully that the, the crowds were struck with awe. We've never heard anything like this. This man preaches with authority. And to underline and verify the truth of his preaching, Jesus did also many miracles and signs. He healed the sick. He, he cured the lame. He raised up the paralyzed. He cast out demons. He even resurrected people from the dead. You would think that with Jesus, both preaching and healing, that he would have had tens of thousands of loyal followers, myriads even of true believers, who would stay committed to him no matter what, right? That, from a human perspective, is a no-brainer. Jesus, well, he should have thousands of committed believers and followers. Well, by the time they put him to death, and Jesus later ascended into heaven, only 120 believers could be found in Judea. The best skilled preacher the world has ever seen in the person of the Son of God Himself, preaching for a three-year period, led only to 120 conversions. But that did change. When did it change? It changed on Pentecost Day, when suddenly the Holy Spirit was sent down from heaven by the Lord Jesus, and those 120 in a single day, they were multiplied into 3,000 believers. And how was it that those people came to faith, those 3,000? Acts chapter 2, it was the preaching of Peter, that simple fisherman from Galilee, a weak disciple of Christ with all kinds of shortcomings. Just the, the preaching did it as the Spirit worked in the hearts of the hearers. We read an example from Acts 13 as well. The Apostle Paul was sent by Christ to preach the gospel. And we read there in Acts 13 that Paul took time to open the Scriptures, and for, for them the Scriptures were our Old Testament. He turns to the book of Psalms, he turns to the prophets, and he summarizes things that were taught there. He proclaimed to the synagogue full of Jews, he says, Listen, look, my brothers, this Jesus, 
This Jesus of Nazareth was Israel's Savior. He is Savior. He is the great son of David. He's the Messiah and the King. He died and rose to life. And Paul finished his sermon with this, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. He's just preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's nothing fancy. There's, there's no tricks about it. There's no extra stuff on stage with him. He's just got the Bible open preaching. And how did the people respond? Verse 42 of that chapter, as the apostles and the congregation went out, it says there, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. Give us more, Paul. We're begging you. Preach to us, Jesus. Come back the next Sabbath. Can you relate to that? They begged him. Do you long for Sunday so that you and I can gather together with God's people and, and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ? Is Sunday the, the highlight for us? Are you starting to see, brothers and sisters, how, how much of a blessing sermons are as the Holy Spirit works that blessing? It is not the case, to be clear. It's not the case that the Holy Spirit uses every sermon to convert thousands of people. That doesn't happen all the way through the book of Acts either. But it is true that in every faithful sermon, the Holy Spirit is active. And as the Word comes into our ears and, and goes down into our hearts, the Holy Spirit goes down with it, and He makes that Word active and alive. Sermons are a tool for the Holy Spirit to plant faith, and more than that, to also strengthen and nurture faith, to make it grow and mature and become stronger and stronger. That's a big aspect to the preaching. Are we hungry to grow and mature in faith. You know, we're so very, very privileged in our time to own a copy of the Bible ourselves. I think it's no exaggeration to say that every home here will have at least one copy and most likely multiple copies. Many of us have it on our phones now. Copies of the Bible. Do we long to read it? and understand it? Are we spending time in it? What would those believers in Antioch that Paul was preaching to, what would they have done if they had your copy of the Bible in hand and a chance to read it daily and a chance to go to a Bible study group in the middle of the week and a chance to hear two gospel sermons every Lord's Day? Do you think they they wouldn't be interested? Can you imagine these people of from Acts 14 or 13, can you imagine them making excuses for why, well, I just don't have time. Um, I don't really feel like it. They begged for more. They would have been like that person seeking Relief from his allergies. They would have thrown themselves into the Word whenever they could, rejoicing in God, rejoicing in the Savior Jesus Christ. 
loving that they can fellowship with Him directly in His Word through His Spirit. Can we catch that passion for the Word, beloved? The Word, the Gospel, it's a tool of the Holy Spirit to work in us. But we have a responsibility. We have to grab hold of that tool so that the Spirit can grab a hold of our hearts through that tool. So take the time. Read, read the Bible with your kids. Talk about it as a family around your kitchen tables. Read it for yourself. Teach your children to read it for themselves, to, to think about it, to meditate on it, to discuss it. Talk about it with your friends. Go to Bible study groups. Go Grow deeper in love for your Savior, deeper in trust. And when you are in the Word like that, then the sacraments that He gives will also come alive as a blessing for you. Lord's Day 25 teaches that the Holy Spirit strengthens our faith also by the use of the sacraments. So when you step back a moment, you realize that the Holy Spirit has chosen two basic tools to help us with faith. The first tool is the preaching of the gospel, and the second is the use of the sacraments. And in catechism class, we'll talk about the distinction between those two things. The preaching, that serves two purposes, to plant faith and also to strengthen faith. The sacraments serve only one purpose namely to strengthen faith. We don't use the sacraments to plant. The Holy Spirit doesn't use the sacraments to plant faith, but He uses the sacraments to shore up faith. So the sacraments and the preaching, they, they work together to boost, to build up, to support our trust. Well, what are the sacraments? The Catechism gives a definition quoting from Romans 4 and calls the sacraments holy visible signs and seals. What's a sign? Well, a sign is basically a picture. It's a symbol of something, and when you see that picture, it communicates a message. And we do this all the time. You know, you see a, a, a road sign along, along the, your travels, and you know that you have to yield to traffic. It doesn't say the word yield on most of those signs. It just has a a certain way of picturing that, well, that's a symbol and you know the message. A seal, sacrament's also a seal, a seal, it basically authenticates or guarantees the genuineness of what is pictured, that it's, it's the real deal. It's like a, like a trademark or a signature so that the thing you, you're looking at you know is absolutely genuine and true and you can trust the picture. So imagine, let's try an example to try to bring this across. Imagine for a moment living in Spain, okay, in the 1400s. All you know, if you're a Spaniard in the 1400s, all you know is the, the land of Spain and, and what would be called Europe. You know there's an Africa, you know there's an Asia but you don't know what lies to the far west across the waters. All you know is there's a whole lot of water there, the Atlantic Ocean. Now suppose someone shows you a map, and on that map 
They show Europe on the one side and the Atlantic Ocean, which you know about, and then some islands in the middle, and, and toward the farther west, a, a large landmass. We know that landmass today as North America, but back then they didn't know that. That map is a picture showing the reality of a land, a huge chunk of land across the ocean. But the people in Europe, they weren't all that sure about that chunk of land in the 1400s. They weren't sure there was land there. A lot of people thought if you went so far across the ocean, you'd, you'd fall off the edge, right? The, the flat earth theory. Well, now somebody shows you a map, and, and, and it shows there's a chunk of land there, and you're wondering, can I believe this picture that there really is land there? And then you notice that the, this, this map has a signature on the bottom, and it's the signature of Christopher Columbus. And then all of a sudden, your confidence grows because you've, you've heard and you know that Christopher Columbus went on a long voyage across those very waters. And he came back with proof that there was land there. So if this map is signed by him, it's got to be legit. And there has to be this big landmass over there. I believe the picture because I am sure about the signature, about the person who claims its reality. Well, that's how it works with the two sacraments, the two signs and seals that our Savior gave us, baptism and Lord's Supper. Each is a picture. They're two different pictures, but they're communicating the same basic message. The message is the same message that's proclaimed in the preaching. And the message is this, that God graciously forgives all of our sins and gives us everlasting life because of the one sacrifice of Jesus accomplished on the cross. So whether it's the preaching or baptism or Lord's Supper, it's the same bottom line message in all three. Back, baptism uses a particular picture, the picture of washing. Just like you and I had a bath or a shower recently, and like water, and we usually add a bit of soap to it, but, but water washes our bodies clean, so the blood of Jesus washes our souls clean from sin. When water is applied to the head of a baby or an adult, we are meant to think of how Jesus' blood washes us clean from guilt. Then the Lord's Supper has another picture, totally different kind of picture. It's the picture of a meal. A table is set for us, and we are served bread and wine. We hope to enjoy that in a few weeks again. When we do this, our thoughts go to the crucified body of our Savior and how by means of His death, the breaking of His body on the cross, so to speak, that He has brought us salvation, so much so that we may, we may feast with Him. He invites us to a, a fellowship meal at His banqueting table. Both, sign come, both signs, both pictures, they, they come to us signed, so to speak, with the name Jesus Christ on the bottom. It's Jesus giving us these pictures, giving us these signs. We know He commanded them, and so we know that what they portray is 100% true, 100% genuine. They come from Jesus to us. So, we have these two signs and seals, but someone might ask, look, do we really need them? Why did the Lord Jesus give us sacraments if the sacraments are conveying the very same message as the preaching? I mean, we hear preaching all the time, every week. 
Why bother with this additional tool if the preaching is already used to strengthen faith? I mean, why have a secondary tool? The preaching is clearly the primary thing in Scripture. So why have baptism and Lord's Supper next to it? And the answer to that is this, because the Lord knows how weak we are. We're not as strong as we like to think. And if we already have difficulty thinking that we need to spend a lot of time reading the Bible or thinking on the gospel, if we already sometimes get into the habit of not being in church when we are called to come and think that our faith is fine on its own, how much then do we not need extra help, extra tools to keep us from becoming totally exposed to the attacks of our enemies? For we have people and powers, Satan and sin, even unbelievers, that are out to get us and undermine our, our faith. Which of us doesn't have our questions at times or, or doubts? We've talked about some of those questions this morning. Which of us has a, a, a faith that is as rock solid as you can have at every moment of every day? Like, who's got that? Which of us has invincible trust in the Lord Jesus Christ that could never be toppled over? Don't we know people? You can think of some examples. Know people who once professed faith, but we observed them drifting away and they lost it. I can name two men who once were ministers in our federation of churches publicly proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, who turn their back on the gospel and no longer have faith, period. We need all the help we can get so that faith stays burning and burns even brighter. You know, that's also the instruction that the apostles give in the, in the Scriptures. Those 3,000 souls that were added to the church in Acts 2 on Pentecost Day, those 3,000, they were baptized not to send God a message that they were committed to Him, but God had them baptized to send them a message that He had washed away their sin just as surely as the water washed dirt off their bodies. And then that other sacrament follows toward the end of chapter 2, Luke tells us that the people there devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and to prayers. Breaking of bread is shorthand for the Lord's Supper. The early believers, they gathered to study the apostles' teaching. They opened Scripture. They broke bread. They, they drank the wine in remembrance of Jesus Christ. They prayed together. They shared together so that their own faith could be assured and reassured and reassured again and again. All of this that we've been told, it really is true. Jesus Christ really did die also for me personally, and my sins are as truly forgiven, and eternal life is truly mine as surely as I eat and drink. Brothers and sisters, take up these tools, these means of grace. Dig in to the Word. 
Pay careful attention to the preaching and to the sacraments. Participate in the Lord's Supper as much as you can. We all need it, all these things, to stay fresh and fruitful in the faith. And if the Holy Spirit is handing out blessings, think of it that way, because He is. If the Holy Spirit is handing out blessings to God's people, here, I've got blessings for you. I'm going to bless you through baptism. I'm going to bless you through the Lord's Supper. I'm going to bless you through the preaching of the Word, first and foremost. Why would we not make use of that? Why would we not be there with all our heart? So don't miss your weekly booster shots. That's how we go in this life, from strength to strength, until we appear before God in paradise. Amen. Amen.